So I'm looking at um, meditation practice and the spiritual path from like a wider perspective. I mean, certainly we understand the value of, of mindfulness and concentration and we can see the importance of ethics and uh, you know we can see how, how important it is to have community to hold and support and to reflect and to offer friendship. In my own personal experience, um, two of the most important factors um, that have sustained me have been um, curiosity and determination. And the curiosity, I think, was something that I was, you know, was born with, or I was really strongly encouraged in my family. So, you know, as kids, we were never shut down or told to be quiet or that we were asking too many questions. You know, my parents, they both of them, they were just um, thrilled when we had lots of questions about stuff. So it really focused our capacity to, to dial in to things and ask questions about them. And, you know, the ability to ask questions about things then allows us to shape or to reframe our own internal experience. So, you know, a very little person, their capacity to ask questions is going to be simple. Like, you know, what is this or how does this relate to that? Um, But as we get older, our sophistication and our ability to look at what we are looking at then allows us to ask questions that shape it in a particular way. Now, one year I was spending time with um, a woman who was an art therapist. And she had a fabulous art studio, and she loved to have us in there and do art therapy. And um, for some reason, I was absolutely petrified of black. And, you know, I can psychoanalyze why. But I was really frightened of it. But I decided, well, I was going to go ahead and I was going to work with black and just see what happened. And so, you know, I made a picture, and to me it was horrible. You know, it was just awful. It was an awful picture. It was terrible. <laughs> but I stayed with it, and I worked with it, and I had it, and I and I kept it. And then I thought, well, you know, because that year I think I was making Christmas cards for everybody. So I took a bunch of stuff that I had made and I cut it up and I took the pieces of what I'd cut up and turned them into little cards for people. So I took this big black, horrible black thing, you know, that for me was like, it was just, you know, it was really hard for me to appreciate it. And I cut it up into small pieces. And then I looked at the small pieces and some of them were spectacular. And for me, to be able to not just look at this whole big, huge thing, but to look at small pieces of it meant that I could see beauty and interest and movement and dimensions. And um, But I, I couldn't. I had no appreciation for when I was looking at it in the large picture. So that is one small example of how when you focus your attention in a particular way, you can change your relationship with the whole thing. 
And even though that actually had some deeper implications in terms of why the black was actually scaring me, it's a really useful thing in terms of when we're dealing with anything that is difficult. When we find ways of focusing our attention in particular ways and get really curious and interested in that, it gives us the energy and the capacity to stay with something that otherwise we might recoil from or reel from or not have any interest to or capacity to stay present with. And so, you know, that, that kind of goes hand in hand with mom's mom's So dad was an intellectual kind of genius. So he loved framing things intellectually. He was fearless. And he could think about things in ways that would just really take you out of comfort zones in terms of what your normal conceptual frameworks were. Mom was an adventurer. So she liked to have adventures. And she liked to do things that were risky or difficult. But, you know, she'd come out of it and she'd say that was an adventure. You know, so when she would frame it as an adventure for her, an adventure was always a good thing, you know. It was always a good thing. And I remember, you know, we would always get lost because she had one eye that was legally blind. And so her good eye, she because her good eye was strong somehow, her nervous system always thought that going that way was the right way. <laughs> And so, and then on top of that, she had a really bad sense of direction. So we would always get lost, always get lost. But getting lost, all getting lost meant was that we were on an adventure. And so, you know, we would ask people how to get where we needed to go, and inevitably we always found our way, and usually we would meet interesting people and sometimes see very interesting things on the way, and so it was never a problem. Now... Once, when Mom was picking me up in Santa Cruz, so I hadn't seen her for a while, so she was excited to see me. Um, And I wasn't paying carefully enough attention, so she actually was driving up a road that was not meant for her to drive on. It was a service road, and it was meant for not ordinary people like Mom. And because she was excited, and because the road was incredibly narrow, she ended up driving off the road. And the side of the road was like, super, 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 super steep. And I saw us going over the road, and my mind was tracking what the likely projection and trajectory of what was happening, and Mom did not figure it out. And to my utter amazement, the car did not roll, which I completely expected it to from the angle we were at, and it just dug into the very, very soft, soil that was underneath us. But the car was at this really unbelievable angle. And so she told me to get out on my side. I said, no, Mom, we're not getting out on my side. We're getting out on your side. And she couldn't open the door because of the weight of the door in the gravity. So I pushed open the door with my feet, and she climbed down, and we got down, and we called the tow truck. The tow truck came and said he had never in his life had ever seen a car that was at that angle and hadn't rolled. Well, like 20 feet below us were houses, and people were coming out of them. It was a retreat center, and um, they, I, we had come to listen to Ayakema talk, but um, something else was happening. Anyway, the tow truck said never, he'd never experienced that before, where he'd seen a car in that position that hadn't actually rolled. And he couldn't, 
get us out by himself because it was too precarious, so he had to call another tow truck to bring us so that they could hold from both ends and lift us out rather than if they had if he just tried from one end, the other side would swing, and the whole thing would go down so Two tow trucks came, I don't know how many hours later. The car came out, you know, we stopped at a gas station, absolutely zero damage. The car, the tires were not even out of alignment. I mean, it was one of those total miracle kinds of things. So we went to the restaurant, you know, to have dinner, you know, and the waitress, you know, with sometimes these plastic smiley faces, or I don't know whether it was a waitress or a waiter, I said, are you having fun today? <laughs> And Mom's response was, yes, it's been quite an adventure. (laughs) (laughs) And to me, I mean, it was like, wow, you know, wow. Because the the tow truck person said they'd never seen the possibility that a car like that hadn't rolled. And we were right in front of houses. So if we didn't get killed, it's likely that somebody else could have. And so, you know, and then to reframe it that way takes, um, puts it in a position of looking at it in the most positive light possible, rather than focusing on the the fear or the trauma or the possibilities of the what-ifs or the, you know, the negative scenarios of it. So between both my mom and my dad, the the conditioning around framing things was really strong. And the interest to ask questions was never um, silenced. And those two things have been really powerful in, as, a, as a kind of component in bringing qualities of interest into meditation, particularly when, you know, things are not easy. You know, how is it possible? So it's like a, a, like a puzzle. How can we focus on this so that it's interesting, you know? So it's like, you know, where what's interesting about this that will really help me stay focused on it? Because like with the black painting, it's like, you know, yuck. You know, I don't want to look at it. And so you have to figure out how can you support your attention to stay with it so that your the reactivity that's there, for whatever reason, is not engaging. And we know that this is what we experience with any kind of physical or emotional pain. This is that our tendency is not to want to look at it. So when we reframe it in a particular way, it supports us. The other quality that's really useful is the quality of determination. And I know I had a lot of determination when I was little. I don't know where I got it from, but I I know I had it. And... um, and it has really been tremendously valuable, tremendously valuable. And I remember fairly early on in meditation. So I was in UC, I was staying in Berkeley. So maybe a couple years into meditation. And there was a weekend meditation retreat that I wanted to go on. And I didn't have a car. I had arranged for somebody to pick me up who was going to be on the retreat. And it was a kind of, it was an impossible journey to get to by public transportation. And for some reason, which I never figured out, the connection didn't work. They didn't come. So I didn't hesitate. I just went and hitchhiked. Now, I never hitchhiked 
never, this was in the Bay Area, and it was actually quite scary to do that, and it was quite dangerous. But it was like, you know, I was determined that I was going to get there, and that was the only way that I could go. And so I don't know how many rides that it took. Everyone who picked me up was friendly, you know, and it worked. I got there eventually, and I remember speaking to the teacher and saying, you know, some of the kind of what had happened, you know. It took how many hours and how many rides, and, and he said, oh, it was meant to be. And I looked at him. <laughs> I looked at him. Like, I was determined to come whether or not it was meant to be. <laughs> and, you know, this question of, you know, sometimes, you know, things don't work out and you change plans and that's the right, that's the right way of doing it. But not so much with plans, but with motivation in terms of, you know, when we're focused on what's important to us, then it's really important to really question, what are you willing to give up? How important is this? Like, what priority does this actually take in your life? And I think probably one of the things that is true for accomplished meditators, people who've actually taken meditation to significant realization, is that their determination is very, very strong. So certainly with the time, you know, the, the story of the Buddha, you know, what we heard was is that after he had done practices for five years, he got to a point where he said, you know, either let my blood dry up or my bones turn to dust, but I am not moving from this spot until I wake up, you know. And so it was like there was nothing left to fiddle or finagle or to, or to sidestep or to, it was like, this is it, you know. And the same was true with Deepama. You know, she got to a point in her life there was nothing else that mattered to her more than her sense of what meditation was and why she was doing it. Nothing. It was like nothing else mattered. And so for each of us, you know, we have a journey of inquiry of, well, how important is this? You know, is this a hobby? Is this a part-time job? Is this a full-time job? Is this a career? Is this a vocation? Is this the most important thing in my life? And um, it's not for me to tell anybody, you know, how important it's supposed to be. But what I do know is there's a direct correlation between the level of intention and the resulting determination. So when the intention is total, the determination is very different. You know, on Facebook, which I do, you know, there's a post, and I love this post, because this is typical of the way most of our minds work most of the time. And it's a picture, a cartoon picture of a, of a, of a woman, stick-figured woman, sitting cross-legged. And the instructions are, stay with the present moment, Unless the present moment is unpleasant, in which case, eat a cookie. (laughs) (laughs) 
And the reason why I love it so much is because it's a really perfect description of what many of us do. We will do the practice as long as it's not unpleasant, and as soon as it's unpleasant, we'll do something that's pleasant. But when we have the motivation, you know, I'm here whether or not it's pleasant, and I'm here whether or not there's a cookie, you know, then there's also something else that opens up. Now, we have to be careful, and I certainly know I have had to be careful, because I've taken my determination and used it to hurt myself. I've used it to override my need to for physical care or for to stay hydrated or to eat the right food or to get enough rest because I have had this determination that if I just stay with it and drill down deep enough, then that's going to be the way that I'm going to get through. And so the kind of motivation to be there no matter what it takes also includes, even if it takes taking care of yourself, you know, you know, that has got to be part of the loop. And so, you know, one of the things that I notice that's rampant amongst the renunciants is, is, is that we take our determination and use it to cut across our uh, life force rather than to use it with our life force. And so simple things like, you know, making sure you've got enough to drink, making sure you take medicine when you need to, making sure that if you're sick, you get to rest, making sure um, that you're warm enough, making sure that you stay cool when it's too hot. You know, simple physical things are has taken me years to learn because of the determination. I had the sense that if I was just determined strong enough, then I would be able to somehow get to a place where I didn't need to take those things into consideration. And so, you know, one of the things that has been an interesting thing is, is that if I'm prepared to do no matter what it takes, and what it takes is sometimes to take care of my health, you know, which is different than just eat a cookie because it's unpleasant. It's actually focusing on what's actually needed in the present moment to sustain body energies and mental energies and interest and vitality so that I can stay engaged. Now, my system is remarkably sensitive. I mean, it just staggers me how sensitive I am and how much I pick up on what's going on. And one of the things that has been tremendously fascinating is to watch what happened to me when I went to that weekend, you know, a couple of weekends ago. So in here, in my hermitage, you know, mostly the people who come are meditators and they're they're loving, kind people who are interested in engaging on this level. I don't do anything to protect myself for the space, okay? But I took myself out of the space and I went into that space and I didn't do anything to protect myself before I went into that space. And that was a big mistake. And so energetically, there were a number of things that happened and it's taken me quite a something to, to regroup and to unravel and to come back to a place where I feel like you know everything is operating in the way that I'm familiar with. So for me, it has taken enormous skill to learn how to take care of my sensitivities so that I can stay grounded through the various different kinds of things that I'm experiencing. And part of that learning has been to take care around contact and to take care that I have time in meditation and in nature because both of those things are very, very restorative and rejuvenating. Now, I can imagine, though I haven't yet attained it, that when a person who is at this kind of sensitivity levels that I have is tremendously skilled at self-regulating, 
then they have much more capacity in, uh, in, in, in many different arenas. And, you know, their energies doesn't crash out because they've overextended or they've put themselves in situations that are supportive. So each of us has to learn, like, you know, the kind of idiosyncrasies of the way that we operate in terms of our mind-body systems and all the rest of that. And one of the things that I really loved about that talk that we saw with Temple Grandin was is that she was putting it out there, you know, some of the specifics of the way her mind works, the things that are it's really good at, but also the things that it's not really good at. And it was like, there was no judgment. It was just like, well, this is the way this thing works, you know. So she needed to know that she couldn't have the photographers in front because it was just like completely disoriented her. And so, you know, she made that really clear. You have to go right now, you know. There was no apology. It was just like, I can't do this. you got to go. And so, you know, each of us has that kind of thing where we need to learn, well, how is it that we function? What is it that makes us energized? Where does our energy leak or drain? How can we keep ourselves healthy physically, emotionally, energetically, spiritually, community-wise, so that we can sustain our energy, our interest, our curiosity, as well as our determination to see things through? But that question of what is really important to you, like what's really rock bottom, what's bottom line, is a really important question. Because when you know that, it's like you have access to a lot of power. And that power can be used in a way that's just awesome, tremendously valuable for yourself and for the world and for everybody that you have 